Oh, I know. I wanted to talk about uh, you passing me another mics. You got it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so. And thank God they're twist offs. Oh, I know. Thank yeah. you, mics. <laughs> I would have had to. I would have had to your put teeth. The, pull the, a frat the, boy. <laughs> the old rugby, rugby uh, molar trick, which sometimes chips and sometimes doesn't. So, the teeth. And at our age. <laughs> It ain't good. I'm too old for that. Ain't good. So, um, yeah, but so yeah, identity takes many forms, and I think um, uh, that for me, for me, um, I so often, uh, time after time, find myself in relationship after relationship, and relationships really served as a model of teaching for me. You know that. Um, you know, I, I'm very open about the fact that, uh, you know, I, I uh, had repressed memories. And um, how those memories emerged in me was through through the trust of someone else. I had to value the, the process of someone else because I could not trust my own inner process. And when I did trust that person, that they were not deceiving me or lying to me, I had to turn it back in myself and ask, what is deceptive in myself? What is unknown in myself? And when I did that, uh, memories emerged in my, into my consciousness. Mm. And um, that whole process for me was uh, intensely painful and just, I mean, intense, but um, really served to teach me that um, a few things that regardless of the enormity of the emotional content that we have to process, which sometimes can be biochemical and, and not always addressed with medication, but sometimes can be addressed with medication. There's also the emotional, what you're talking about, the, the, the experiential process of emotions. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Jack Kornfield, I think in his book, either I think it was A Path with Heart, uh, spoke about um, how he was like a, a Zen, you know, or a, a Buddhist monk, and uh, he, uh, he had meditated for years and years and years. And he uh, he found himself, after all this time of spending time in meditation, having sexual fantasies during meditation, <laughs> which is natural and normal, you know. But what he did was he brought awareness to that. And what he found at that would not surprise anyone, but it's a great mystery. And what he found at that was a deep loneliness, which is also deeply deeply embedded in our human condition and our existential question very yeah. much so. right yeah absolutely yeah yeah and i i think that uh you know what's been arising for me is this sense that uh that uh many people come into our lives and that we have to sort of make a decision at some point about how far we let that person into our life, what we share with them, sure. how intimate that relationship becomes, yeah. what the boundaries of that relationship are. And, uh, and I think the real, uh, evolution for myself in that process yeah. has been to allow myself to stay open mm -hmm. to, really feeling out the contours of each different 
relationship that comes in. I have a, um, I have a, uh, uh, something that I often say in conversation, which is every relationship has its own integrity, structure, and function. Yep. You know, and in, yep. in, and the other word that has come to me recently is discernment. Mm. So discerning what those things are. Right. You know? Right. And uh, so let me ask you a question. How do we do that? Well, for me, again, and this probably won't come as a surprise, it's very experiential. Yeah. So, and it unfolds in the moment. And it not only unfolds in the moment, but it also unfolds in the moments when I'm not with a particular person right. and, and how that feels and what imprint the person has left on mm. me. But, but coming from this place of wonder mm-hmm. and openness yeah. and really feeling into the energy of what, boy, this is, you know, difficult territory, I think, because we're not accustomed to doing this particularly. We're much more accustomed to establishing boundaries around the relationship. Sure, oh, sure. this is friend. And based on, based on what? Based exactly. on position? Based on position, based age on, differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that like some homeless guy who could have tremendous impact and meaning in your life right we discard them we did it's discarded because this is a discard or a child as we were just talking about exactly yeah yep and so i've i think that like as you were saying this shift with my children and kind of seeing them as uh you know equal energetic beings that have come into the world perhaps they've come into the world at a different time than i did you know they came in you know three decades later yeah but really that that is is you know just a a dew drop you know in in the time of eternity and um a flash of light a flash of lightning exactly and to really remain open to both what i have to learn from this person and what this person might be needing from me at this particular sure, time. Sure. And I find that that's the difficult part to discern. Well, for me, I it, believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, it is. And for me, it's clear, actually, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you what it is. It, it is always, for me, at least theoretically and not always in practice, and I recognize this. But to what may I offer to this person? Absolutely. What, first and Absolutely. foremost, what may I offer to this person? Right. And in that process of giving and giving fully of oneself in the moment, full attention, full being, full faculties and full, just the fullness of my experience of really usually silence and listening, that what they may offer to me is revealed because... There's something in us that wants to reciprocate when something's given, and that's to give back. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I think just um, my own process in this has been um, really trying to... Feel into the moment. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? When I'm with a person, what is it that comes up? Okay. In well, all le- at all levels. Let's break it down into this way. Mm-hmm. When you say when you say that, what senses are you using? All of them, like really trying to bring to bear all of the senses. What are all the senses? Well, I think that um, you know what 
it, when I can be in this quiet space, like you're saying, with yeah. another person present, what comes up in me? What comes up in my thoughts? Mind, I think that's the, the mind's first. Eye. The mind's eye, right? What is the mind's eye? What arises internally, intellectually, in the, in, cognitively, in, in, in an imagination, right? in imagination, intuitively. What do intuitively, we intuit? exactly. What do we feel physically in our body? Correct. Right? Yeah. That was the next thing. I think is that you know, and I'm kind of going in in order of what I think is the most salient, perhaps, to the yeah, yeah. aspects that are that we're less aware of. And it's not because they're not equally as salient. It's because I think as we were talking about earlier in our culture, we don't have the training to access them as readily. No. You know, in other more primitive cultures, they might be able to acknowledge the... Quote, unquote, yeah. Quote, unquote, exactly. Um, Well, I mean primitive in a positive way. Sure. Meaning that... Less um, intellectualized. Less intellectualized, more being present with the moment. Um... And, you know, less of this sort of, uh, you know, Western individual sort of orientation that we've all accustomed to. Exactly. And so when I say, like, use all of my faculties to sort of be present with somebody, I think it's this layering process exactly in the same way that I did. Having this strong reaction to my children leaving a mess in the hallway and feeling this anger rising in me, that it really was this sort of dissecting of each of the emotional, emotional intellectual, physical, intuitive, spiritual, energetic, all of these different levels. I mean, somatic, somatic, I guess a way to think about it is like if you were to run your way up through the chakras, Mm -hmm. you know, at the base core level, at the prime primitive level, what am I feeling? And then sort of moving up to, you know, the more spiritual place of, okay, what is sort of happening between us? That's not being spoken. And that, that maybe isn't even, um, that we can't even linguistically capture, yep. but just to be present with that as well. You know, that's what poetry, I think, is for. Absolutely, sense, absolutely, you know. of course. Yeah, it's like a, an attempt to sort of grasp capture the that. silence it, and the space. Exactly. And the, the language, yeah. And so I think that for me, in those moments, that it's really a settling into and giving space to each of these different ways of being with another person and, and really being present with what's arising for me at all these different levels mm-hmm. and finding that in some situations, you know, that I might have like this very strong emotional draw mm-hmm. and wow, like I feel so safe, for example. And so I take this feeling of safety and then I construct language around it. Oh, I feel safe around this person. And, but then maybe something else arises, let's say somatically, where I'm like, ah, you know, something. The head and the heart. Yeah, exactly. The head and the heart. And, And maybe where something on a physical level, like I don't something doesn't quite mesh it doesn't click or it doesn't click or you know whatever kind of language we want to try and use around that or vice versa where you have maybe like a strong sensual or physical reaction to somebody and yet there's something emotionally that doesn't quite click or whatever it is but i think that for for my own journey into this way of being with other people it's really about exploring what is arising in me and that 
it's not about the other person per se. It's really about giving space to the moment of what is arising in me. So people will say that I can hear that I can hear people saying mm -hmm. well, that's pretty selfish. That's pretty self-absorbed. Or narcissistic. Or narcissistic. Right. But I know because of my own experience that that is absolutely not the case. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, let's go back to what we talked about, about how people perceive you and how you know right. yourself to be in the world. So just to revisit that, before, right. before when we were at the studio with Richard, we were talking about identity and we were talking about... Uh, mm. What we were talking about, it was uh, what philosopher... Uh, he was talking about Sartre. Sartre, mm -hmm. and he was talking about uh, the transvestite mm -hmm. uh, Who was example. perfectly happy. Who was perfectly happy dressing yep. in women's clothes, yep. looking at himself in the mirror, yep. and then the moment he thought someone was looking in, he it was devastated. The experience. He was devastated, mm -hmm. right? Right. So, right. so that's sort of what we're um, examining right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so, so I guess kind of jumping off that comment of like, you know, well, maybe that's a very narcissistic position. I don't experience it that way because what I feel like I'm doing is that, again, like I was saying about what I, what I was trying to model for my children, that by me being fully present in my experience of another person, I am too uh -huh. allowing them to be fully present so in their modeling. experience. Oh. Let's talk a little bit about what this really is, which is presence, mm -hmm. which is awareness, mm -hmm. which is really, what does that allow? It allows responsiveness. Yes. Right? I believe so. Well, yes. it does. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's my experience too. Yes. And it, that's, so that the cultivation of awareness is really the cultivation of responsiveness and from a Buddhist perspective could be termed like skillful means or right action. Yes. Um, to respond knowing not... Because, you know, with the knee-jerk reaction, what is that? Is it unexamined life um, responding to a situation which is not understood, which is so much of what we experience and what we are. It's what I am oftentimes, you know? Right. And uh, I think that, I think that uh, when people argue against meditation, for instance, and say that it's a self-absorbed... Self uh, or a selfish act that, uh, oh yeah, you can take your seatbelt off. I think we're about an hour into the conversation now. So. Can we start driving? We should. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, so that, uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, that the cultivation of awareness through it is what we are. We are responsive. It's just the level to which we are able to respond. So what we want to do is increase that so that there's more compassionate response. There's more understanding and self and other in the relationship. And Joy Harjo and I on Unraveling Religion, um, we had a difficult beginning in the conversation, but um, came to a place of understanding what the show was termed, which is sacredness in relationship. And that this disconnect that we're speaking about, which is in part because of identity and socialization, through spiritual practices, doesn't have to be meditation. It can be many different forms of uh, self-cultivation, introspection, contemplation. Uh, is really 
it is about affirming, you know, I, I, I just, it's about affirming what we are, which is really, it is a unified reality. And I'll say that I am you and you are, you are me in one sense. That is ultimately very deeply true, but how do we recognize that until we experience that? And then once we experience that and bring that back into the relationship, then I can honor you and you can honor me. And you, you know? and I have certainly shared. Yeah. I mean, mel multiple times in our relationship where we've had that feeling of, you know, deep connection. One in, mind, one mind. One mind, one heart, one You, you speak what I think, exactly. I speak what you think. And even beyond that, Absolutely. I mean, even to that place of just, you know... Beyond silence. Beyond silence. Yeah. 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 We've we've been there many, many, the root, many times. The root. Many times. Yeah. Mm hmm And so, um So I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of kind of what what you were sharing before about that by being in our own awareness, that how how is that not narcissistic? How yeah. is that ultimately uh compassionate? How is it ultimately beneficial? And beneficial. Yeah. And from my experience, again, that when I find that when I'm in that place of being fully present in what's arising in me, mm. that any agenda drops away. Oh, it's a very important point. Lisa. That any sense of directing the moment or manipulating, and I don't mean that in a negative way, I just yep. mean literally shaping the moment yep. to have a particular outcome all of that falls away. Yeah. And the only thing that remains is the pureness my, of being. Exactly, is the pureness of being. Yeah. And bringing in all those all those senses, you know, this the sensual, the community, the the um like I'm thinking through the chakras, how sure. we communicate, how we see one another through our third eye. Okay. I mean, all of these ways of being become purified when we are fully present with our own being because because i'm sorry um but you know um we are matter um and we are spirit and in that body mind combination of one expression in the moment of body mind we have full capacity to and i and i i really shy away from this notion of extrasensory perception or esp paranormal that's all bullshit i don't I don't, there are things that we know we know when we know, and you can call it a lot of different things. Well, again, it's this idea of trying to linguistically capture something that is... Or validate. Or validate it, or empirically test, or... <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Oh, it's on this sheet of paper that it says so? Okay. Okay, exactly, <laughs> exactly. When you know you can test things through your own experience, which is... Which is what the Buddha recommended, you know? Well, and now here again, we sort of run up against the the the, the question that you and I have, have discussed in the past, too, is, you know, then how do we, dis how do we then describe or conceptualize the experience of someone who has a profound mental illness? Yeah, which, which I, I have had. And, and how do we come to this place of, well, that's their reality. And well, I have... It calls into question, really, 
what is responsibility and what are we responsible for? Exactly. What is the boundary that arises in the moment collectively for that person? Right. 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 I mean, that's a very big, broad, existential... Absolutely. Uh, ...question that is full is filled with meaning and purpose, which is probably, at this point in time, unanswerable. But I think that we're going to get to a clearer understanding of things as the evolution of... Uh, being predominantly physical and a spiritual being in a physical reality and I think really the realization that we are really in a spiritual reality that is partly physical will take place and that question and that the responsibility and what the responsibility for that person with profound whatever it is whatever that subjective experience is which is hindering their inner experience their contentment and their relationships uh, or even ability to function ability in the world. to function in the world uh, if they're not hurting anyone then really what is the point so just to just to tie it back home we are on uh, <laughs> Delaware and Allen we are at Allentown Trading Company <laughs> And uh, some car just came to a screeching halt. But uh, it's 12.50, and this is going for a little while. I think we can continue for a little while if you're cool with that. Yeah, of course. Are you kidding me? For us, this is... Uh, yeah, it's early. This is early. <laughs> it's not 6 a.m. yet. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not 6 a.m. yet. It's only 10 to 1. <laughs> we have a few more mics hard to go through. Oh, so yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, And I have to let the audience know that... Um, I really am tempted to um, delve into the Pringles, but I don't think that it will be appreciated. <laughs> They're 40% more cheese-tastic. Oh. Wow. How can I not? You have to. You yeah. must. Right. You must indulge in Pringles. Delicious. Cheese-tastic, in fact. It's cheese-tastic. Oh, my God. So, um, really important questions because how do we, how do we relate to the marginalized people like myself who are marginalized, you know, I think I've developed the sensitivity to it because I have experienced it in my reality and I've lost people who I hold most dear because of it. And I think that, um, it's made me very sensitive and aware to the fact that, uh, not only do all people have value, but what is my responsibility in restoring other people's ability to connect, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think that, okay, so let's talk about this idea of connection. What is it that we're ultimately connecting to? Yeah. Well, you know, it's true. I mean, but our perceptions now is that it's predominantly a physical reality, a physical universe with a spiritual element. That is our perception, but I don't think that that's ultimately what reality manifests as. I think it's one expression, that it is, uh, you can approach it this way, which is kind of a cop-out in one sense that, uh, but I'll, I'll go this direction just because I think it's, it's easy to follow, um, and I don't know how else to describe it, but, you know, the Heart Sutra says, form is em emptiness, emptiness is form. You know, so that uh, 
these two interplay are really just the same thing, the same expression. And this is how it manifests in this moment in time. You know, so... Um, but collectively, I, I often wonder to myself, what is my responsibility in the collective, you know, as, as a part of the collective? And I think when you begin to form an answer like we've been talking about, that's when the problem arises. You know, it's like uh, Suzuki, uh, Shinru Suzuki's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. He talks about what is a good father? A good father does not know he is a good father. And someone who claims he is a good father is probably not a good father. So that when you have that identity formed in your mind that I am a good father, it sort of prevents you from that responsiveness that I'm talking about, that we, we have been talking about. That in the moment responsiveness that is a continual unfolding of the human experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I just wanted to turn turn uh, turn to uh, at the Infringement Festival tonight. Uh, I had the honor of uh, of reading um, uh, a eulogy, a poem that I wrote for my my step grandfather. Hiram Augustus Miller, um, and uh, I read it, and I read uh, Through the Day, and I read One True Season, I read this, um, an open letter to Hiram Augustus Miller, and, uh, you know, I think I wanted to shift, because you're a poet, and I'm a poet, <laughs> that I thought we'd approach this from a poetic lens. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, really, um, what are we expressing when we, when we write poetry? I think that answer will be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. For me, I find that it ironically gets me out of my head uh -huh. and gets me much more into a feeling space. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, for me particularly, uh -huh, yeah. oh, come on, you know the answer to that question. Well, go ahead. They don't. <laughs> um... I uh, think it would be an understatement to say that I tend to be very cerebral. What? <laughs> um, People fell asleep in this conversation five minutes in. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> um, and I find that for me when I really, first of all, I don't, I don't, write poetry in any sort of disciplined way uh -huh. that I poetry asks me to write it yes it does yeah and uh and and I think that that's a very different uh way for me to be in the world because usually why? I'm why? so why why what why is that a, why is it why does it ask you to write it well, I think it's something that uh, usually it arises because some experiences happened, um, some interaction with another person, or... Is it stuff that can't be really processed intellectually or expressed intellectually? I think it can be expressed intellectually. I mean... But people fall asleep five minutes into the Exactly, right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I wrote a poem about about us even yeah, yeah. remember i shared that with you yeah. and i could share it now um do you have it memorized no but okay. i have it in my 
Your phone? Trusty iPhone. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I think that it, uh, it comes from a more feeling place. Uh-huh. And because I think there are there aren't rules necessarily around it that it allows for the openness in the same way that um as i said about sort of feeling into another person writing poetry is really feeling into an experience but using linguistic constructs to try to mm, what's the word i want um, convey or express convey express uh, it feels even deeper than that mm-hmm. like um, um, commune communicate commune I yeah. think that that's an even better yeah. maybe way of expressing it um, and also I find that uh, that poetry at least for me is a way to sort of say what maybe falls outside of polite conversation sure or what, one of the reasons why i love poetry is right because it break down it breaks down the the barriers that societally are, are in the social contract exactly exactly you can talk about uh even an experience that you have with somebody that you may or may not even share with them particularly you know that something arose in you and it was so powerful and you know there was something um either uh i I think there's something basic about it about it's um it usually goes to something very like you said ineffable Mm -hmm. but very uh emotional Mm -hmm. i think i don't know i feel like i'm sort of struggling for the words no 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 that it uh it captures i think it captures it lassos or captures something that is um, a part of the ineffable experience, the, the, the deeper, not even emotional, but beyond emotional, the, 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 the experience of that we are consciousness and the experience of that consciousness and what that is, you know, and how it expresses itself through the formation of uh, this physicality, the body and uh, the psyche and psychology of human beings, you know. So that, um, I really think that, uh, it's one of the reasons why I truly love poetry, because I, I notice that poetry is great in and of itself, but I'm much more interested in how poetry builds community, you know, which is what my mentor, uh, my creative writing teacher, Mage Reagan, taught me, you know, um, Mage is, Mage is, uh, for those of you who don't know, he was my first guest on Unraveling Religion as I, uh, as I uh, went from crawling to walking uh, as a radio host, and uh, but Mage was was beautiful. And uh, for those of you who who haven't had the opportunity to listen, uh, Mage had many uh, and in a very beautifully articulate, experiential way uh, conveyed things about the nature of. Uh, our daily experience that uh, in a way that was unique to Mage that he taught me to find my own voice in my own way and uh, so did you find it on your phone Lisa? I did in fact. Okay. Yeah. So this is um, 
This is a poem that I wrote in, I don't know, when did I write this? Let's see. I don't have a year on it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I wrote it to capture, I think, the quality of many conversations that I've had with a multitude of people. Uh -huh. um, and that reach to the center and to the edges at the same time. Uh -huh. um, and uh, so I think I'll just go ahead and share it without sure. more. Uh, we smoke in rings around our truths, slipping words through the unseen circumference of love from one to the other, no beginning, no end, creating instead in dashed diameters from the center of infinity to the edges of the abyss. So we stave off the cold by the heat of our words, encircling, reaching for the center. That's nice. Thanks. That's a fucking good poem. Thanks, man. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, do you have any more on there? Yeah. Got tons. Go ahead, yeah. Let's see what else you have. What else comes to mind? Let's see. Um, <clears throat> this is another poem I think that often reflects the connections that we make through communication and the ways that people save us uh -huh, through yeah. that reaching out and connecting Absolutely, with us. Yeah. Your words that night. Your words that night while I sat on my porch swirling in my own smoke birthing ghosts in the cool dark emptiness were the midwife to my winter. Your words sliding into my ear, slipping into my heart, holding me up before myself as the past and what may come. Your words that night fell into me as brilliant leaves descending from the weight of too much beauty, laying bare the frailty of dry branches, no longer able to hold such gloriousness. Your words that night melted me from the weight of too much coldness and packed expectations frozen in another time after the snowmen. Your words that night, my words that night, danced on the fallen leaves and made a carpet of crushed gold to properly welcome this winter. Ah, oh, that's beautiful, Lisa. That that rings in such an authentic way, you know, such a genuine way. Well, you and I have been to that place. Yeah. Many, 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 we many times. We have been. We many times. That is an amazing, amazing poem. Thank you. Yeah. But, I mean, holy shit. <laughs> and this coming from the uh, nominated best poet in Buffalo, I Shut take that as up. quite a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I take that as quite a compliment. I had the ballot buffs, the ballot box stuff. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, come, come now. <laughs> so I have, I have one that 
ties into because uh, I just uh, I broke out my uh, collection of stuff, and it's it's actually um, it's actually a poem that ties into uh, attachment mm. and uh, identity formation, not identity formation, but the experience of distancing ourselves from the experience of that connection in youth of mm. childhood or infancy mm. and it's very short mm. it's a super short poem mm. and I've read it before it's and, and sometimes it, it has it has served great for great meaning with me and it's called childhood remembered mm. it goes like this childhood remembered autumn stream leaf still searching for her lost branch And in that, um, that's the whole poem. So there's, there's, uh, that's the end. But um, you know that autumn stream leaf still searching for her lost branches. Each one of us, I think. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Longing for what? Not really childhood, but that connection of the experience of that unified, the unity of with all things uh, that we had in infancy that we lost through our socialization and identity constructs well i think the thing that arises for me in that is that you know it's the leaf that's searching for the branch but the leaf emerged from the branch and therefore has the branch within it yeah and that it needs to sort of and in you know again sort of winding back to the what we were talking about attachment again that you know one could look at this simply as oh the leaf is the child leaving the mother the mother is the branch but but I think that it's, it, it reminds me actually of, uh, I think I've told you this about uh, uh, my daughter when she was six or seven. <clears throat> we were watching this show, remember? I told uh-huh, you about this? I do, yeah. We were watching this show where these people had stumbled upon this body of water that could give them eternal life. And they drank it accidentally, but then obviously like realized that they weren't aging. And the young boy who was 16, 17, um, met, a, a human and, uh, a mortal, uh-huh. put it that way, a mortal and, uh, and fell in love with her. And he offered her to drink from this water and that if she drank from the water, she too would have immortality and that they would be able to be together forever. And I remember asking my daughter, cause we were watching it together. Well, what would you do? And my daughter said, like, looked at me in, you know, like sheer stupidity of, well, this is a no brainer. I'm like, okay, well, what would you do? This is quite an existential question. How does a six or seven year old answer this existential question? Well, of course I wouldn't drink the water. Well, why wouldn't you drink the water? Because I have to die. Because in order for new life to come, I have to let go. And for our lives to have meaning, And right? for my life to have meaning, I have to let go yeah. of this reality. Yeah. And wow, was that a really powerful... Mm-hmm. And how certain she was of it. That's the part I think that was even more stunning. Sure, sure. And, and I and think... it's it, another example of uh, Asha's is teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the sense of when I was listening to your poem that of course the leaf has to let go of the branch and the searching is not for 
the branch without, the branch that was left behind, sure, sure. it is the branch that is now within the leaf. Well, that's that's an enlightened leaf. It's a pretty enlightened leaf. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. Oh my I don't know if that's what your intent was or it thought was no, behind no. the poem. Yeah, but, it's beautiful. But that's what sort of emerged for me mm. is that, you know, the branch is ultimately in the leaf. And it's whole. It's not, there's nothing lost in the wholeness of the leaf because it had to leave the branch. Yeah. It had to let go to make way right. for something new. And it too will find its way back into the ground or whatever it is. As wherever a part it, of all things. As a part of all things. And it's not that it stumbles upon that. It's that it always is that. Right. And it has to come to its own sense of this is who I am. Right. I already am this wholeness. Right, right. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you have yeah. another one? I got lots. Sure, let's go. Let's go. You might want to put your seatbelt back on. <laughs> No, you might want to put your seatbelt on. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> true, true. <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm going to share my... Um, a poem that I have shared with you many times. You and I have sat with this poem many times. Mm -hmm. And um, this is probably, uh, I wouldn't call it, um, I wouldn't uh, rank it in any way in terms of like, oh, it's the best poem I've ever written or, but, but it's the most powerful for me. Sure. And, and the reason why, interestingly, the reason why I think it has the most power for me is because um, I really have no idea what it means. <laughs> so in the truest sense of the word, it, it really came through me. Yep. And I've sat with it for many, many, many years. I wrote this in the late 80s. Yep. And uh, it is a poem that continues to just revisit me and um and call to me okay and uh and so uh we'll put it out there and see what let's see let's see and see what happens see if if any anything arises yeah yet. let's see okay i have walked lifetimes across sand and marble in a darkness deeper than antigenesis i have walked with my mothers daughters and lovers toward iridescence a simple glow from far away, far ahead, and we walked in sandals, guided only by hope and imagination to light the journey. I buried dark little ones along the way. Lovers were carried out to see, to see. One mother remained, holding fast my small hand, saying rosaries, bellowing chants, we ascended a great mountain. Bloodied, my baptism began. I paused, a dark man enters. My mother smiles as she looks on. We come with sudden joy as we watch the sun ascend beyond the distant trees. Together, we create paper dolls from dried lotus petals. A bird shadows the fiery orb. I look up to marvel at its splendor. 
The gust from its mighty wing flapping sweeps my fragile angels from the palm of my hand. I cry in anguish, screaming, lunging to the ground alone, grasping palms of dirt and lilies. This power comes through me and I push my insides out, screaming, not my own. This bird above ignites as a wing enters the sun too close. Amongst the dirt and lilies and lotus dust, there lay my daughter, dark and lovely. I say goodbye to her and walk on alone. My tears fall a great distance and a waterfall is thus born. I sit myself upon the cliff's edge and a fish emerges from my belly. Branded upon its gills, I am. I place a feather between my legs, consume the fish, take the leap of faith, and forever I am the dragon. Uh, I know that one. You know that one. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So if you, do, do we want to enter into uh, past and future lives? Let's do it. You want to? Yeah. All right. What do you got to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> yeah, something about that has a past life quality to uh, it, doesn't it? I know. Yeah, I, know. I think so. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what, what quality of that... Uh, snacks of uh past life <laughs> to you i don't know am i way Me too. off no maybe i'm drunk on mics no speaking of which could i have another one <laughs> absolutely <laughs> thanks yeah for everyone listening uh okay just want to make that clear so what about past lives You know, that's a poem that, like I said, continues to revisit, call me, um, and, uh, and I think that's why it's so hard for me to discern it, because it feels like it's of me, but it's not of my memory. Yeah. It's not of my... I'm right with you. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly. Okay, yeah. So what are you talking about? Can you articulate it? Because <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, but they may not. I know. Um... I wrote that poem, I said in the late 80s, but actually I wrote it in 95, which okay. even has more significance, which sure. I know you know what that means. Yeah. Um, in 1995, yeah. Uh, I uh, experienced my own uh, mental breakdown. Sure, sure. And, uh, and, and first hospitalization. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, uh, and that poem was written after yeah. that experience. Yeah. And, uh, and I think because of having the boundaries so blown out of the water. Sure. Um, through, Identity ripped out. Oh, yeah. I mean, ripped to shreds. Yeah. What is left. What was left, exactly. Yeah. And what was left were these Something's profound... Left. Yeah, yeah. Realities. Uh, realities and, uh, and a sense of... Um, like I didn't have to hold it together anymore. Yeah, you know, isn't that glorious? Oh yeah. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> um, what a relief! What a relief! Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I think that it invited something in of me not holding things together, invited things in that uh, maybe I wouldn't have allowed in previous to that experience. Yeah. 
And, um, and so that's a real powerful, powerful poem for me because I think it speaks to, um, the expanse of time, the expanse of time. And, uh, and I think also too, that, you know, as I reread it now and, and, you know, being present with what's arising in this current reading, because it's dovetailing with this idea of being unmoored and this idea of, um, you know, being born and then I'm alone. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because I am both the mother and the child yeah. in this poem yeah. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that I give birth and I abandon the child mm-hmm. and go on alone. So that self-contained is a <clears throat> metaphor for our adulteration. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yet, and my mother is with me at the beginning Yeah. And somewhere along the way, as I'm giving birth to my own child, she's no longer there. And so I think that there is something about this idea of this existential aloneness, you know, and this, you know, we give birth and, you know, we are in the giving birth too. We are ultimately alone. Absolutely. And then the child to whom we give birth is again, ultimately alone as well. It reminds me what comes to mind is, uh, Iku, Iku. I don't know. If, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, he wrote a poem called. Uh, it's a little poem, and it just. I don't know what it's called, but it, it goes like this. It's. Um, we were born into this world alone. We die alone. This is also an illusion. Mm. I will show you the way, not to come, not mm. to go. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in speaking in speaking about that, yeah. I have a poem. Let me, um, in this You have act- a poem? I have a poem. Really? I do. How yeah. shocking. I know. It's so good that you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Speaking of stepping out of your comfort zone. Yes, yes. You know. What? You owe me big for this. Oh, we're dancing. We are dancing. Can I tell you my master plan? What's your master plan? Is to have this conversation go beyond the bars closing. <laughs> Oh, yes, but in the future... That's fine. Well, in the future, many things could happen. Cheers to that. So, um, in talking about the expanse of time, in our, from the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about the transmigration of the ocean through the, uh, of the soul through the ocean of birth and death. This inspired this poem, which is, um, I think it speaks for itself, and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, uh, kind of, uh, articulate in the way that yours does, but it, it indirectly infers that, uh, we were So what you're saying is that I should be the number one poet in Buffalo? Sure. Go ahead. Take you on. (laughs) A little poet off. (laughs) Poet slam. (laughs) A little poet slam. That's what we're doing right now. Oh, yeah. But this, this, um, this is called The Watchman, Sorrow's Fountain. Wellspring, rain light, passing days, moon around, earth and seasons. Life's texture is autumnal constant. Where do the leaves come and go? Stars and grass are the great way. Knowing and not known, mark these days 
motionless as I watch the sun dissolve in time. And so I think that this is talking about incarnation after incarnation mm. after incarnation, my relationship with this earth and this sun and this moon. Mm. Yeah. So that's and it's, that. it's it's also reminding me of one of the first uh, really uh, powerful poems that I wrote too that uh, um, that uh, was very uh, sort of came at the beginning of this I think it was like in 92 91, uh -huh. 92 and um, I had a very um, uh, I think that was sort of the beginning of my own sort of spiritual awakening yeah away from a religious sense yeah, of course and yeah. more much more into a deep spiritual yeah. sense and arriving at this place of um, of what does it mean to connect with another person? What does that feel like? What is that? What is that experience? And I think that it does connect to this idea of, um, of, uh, like, as you were talking about, about those forces that draw us together. You and I have often talked about that, you know, some call it karma. What is your, some karma? call it karma, karma reincarnation, past life, whatever you want to say. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a little more skeptical about, you know, uh, labeling it in the, in that way. Well, I don't, I don't worry about labeling it exactly. but, uh, because you, you, you can label it all you want, but there's an undoubted connection. There's an between, undoubted connection between people that is inexplicable. Exactly. Oftentimes. Exactly. Not, not even oftentimes, but on rare occasions it is inexplicable. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that this poem, uh, let me see if I have the year on it. I think it was in 91 or something. 92. Um, that, uh, uh, I really, I think for the first time in my life had a connection with another person that was so profound yeah, yeah. and ineffable yeah. that really poetry was the only way that I could even approach it. Let's go to this place. Let's go to this place, man. Okay. Let's talk about this. <laughs> okay. So, um, this uh, this poem was a way to sort of try to express that ineffable connection <laughs> and my place in that connection yeah. and my place beyond that connection yep. or the connection beyond my place if okay. that's a better way to say it you're drunk i'm drunk man <laughs> here we go let's do it all right wise ferryman spiritual other i long for your wisdom to enter me Yet I know the truth of the timeless river, and its cold voice chills me. Even as I hear it, I am deaf. In my search for selflessness, I have not even begun, for I know not the self of which I wish to abandon, nor the other I wish to embrace. Self in the river, other in the river. Self lost in the other in the river. Self found in the other, the river. Wise ferryman, approach me in your wisdom and teach me to float atop the undulating, lonely moments of time into the suspension of my destiny where I shall find self in my oneness with you and lose self in oneness with God. The river lures me as it whispers its gospel. I was always the same and yet every moment I am new. Mm. 
I approach the threshold, Sandy, where you rule in calm, barefoot, I seek you out. You call me wise woman. I am wise in that I seek. No, you are wise in that you live. Your wisdom beckons me. Nothing was, nothing will be. Everything has reality and presence. You call me select. If I am, then carry me to the depths of the river and drown me. Then I shall be wise. Then I shall know love. Then I shall know the truth of the river as I dissolve into other, real, present, and free.